Hi folks, I'm Duncan Gill, child and adolescent psychiatrist. And I'm Victoria Lee, licensed clinical mental health counselor. And welcome to Is There a Med for That? The podcast about teen mental health, behavioral problems, and what to do about them. Victoria and I have been working together for years with kids. Sometimes we use therapy, sometimes medication. Sometimes we just give guidance to parents. And we realize that sometimes kids just need to be left alone. We don't have all the answers, but we've got some of them. We'll do our best to share what we've learned over the years working with struggling kids and their families. We hope you enjoy the show and that we can be helpful to those who have taken on the hardest, most important job in the world, being a parent. Hi, Vicki. I'm excited about our episode. We're going to talk about ADHD today. I'm hoping you're going to do a lot of talking because I want to learn. You're going to ask... Um, Cogent questions, uh, pointed questions. Oh, you're trying to tell me not to hijack your episode. Right, don't. Just let me do the talking. Okay. All right. I've worked with the dog long enough to know when he's in that mood. ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Mm. Not to be confused with what they call ADD, which is attention deficit disorder. I follow. What do you think of those two diagnoses? Oh, that's what I was afraid you were going to ask today, right off the bat. I think I have mixed feelings about them. Yeah. I think a long time ago, I mean, it's kind of dramatic, a long time ago, like maybe like 12 years ago, I would have been way more suspicious and yes. dismissive even yes. of it. I think as I've worked with more kids and experienced more of society and life and the pressures that be... I can see a value in them. I worry that they're overused, yep. especially, um, we can talk more about it later, but especially when there's a history of trauma and maybe other things going on. And then I, but I think you taught me a lot about it as well in the sense of if it helps a child function better in the world, then maybe it's worth the diagnosis and the treatment. Um, so I, I think it can be functional when thoughtfully applied i think that wraps up the episode (laughs) (laughs) feeling pretty good about this one that sounds good no i I agree i went to um started my psychiatric residency not really believing in it um and changed my mind i agree i worry about it being not just overdiagnosed but misdiagnosed yep so here we you know at direction we don't i don't think about it a lot because kids are here with bigger problems than inability to pay attention. And there are a lot of things which can cause people not to pay attention. Boring podcasts. Boring podcasts, <laughs> for example. Mine's not drifting. that I word. This is not, this is not one yeah, of them. Not an example. Um, anxiety, worrying about things. Yep. Being depressed, mood things. Yep. Being a teenager and thinking about life. Yep. So. Being in a the wrong environment we're just not interested yeah like school yep totally so it's both a problem trauma. i agree over trauma. i was gonna say trauma it's a big one i see the trouble with ptsd yeah lots of reasons you don't pay attention or are hyper um but i think there is a subset for which it's a useful um concept um, we talked about the evolutionary psychology of ADHD, right? A little bit, yeah. So I, the concept I like the best about ADHD is this 
spectrum of um, sort of, uh, I guess, ability to focus on one thing. That's sort of, you know, the Modern. one way of looking at it. The other way is an ability to sort of shift your focus rapidly. Um, and a spectrum of how sort of active you are from a motor point of view. And if you take one end, I had one um, professor who described it, you take one end of the bell curve and you call that ADHD. Right. So like a lot of disorders are really, yeah, outside of the bell curve a little bit. But like anything else in psychiatry, we call it a disorder if it causes problems. Right. So, yeah, the evolutionary thing. What have you heard about that? That there's good reason why some people have that sort of energy. Like, I even think, I guess I go right to my little boys who they don't sit still at all. And I know, like, say, if Charlie were put into a classroom right now, we'd be getting phone calls. But (laughs) because, like, oh, he's not paying attention or he's wants to be up doing things. But I, I experience him as a very healthy young boy who has a lot of energy and should be moving his body. who shouldn't have to sit in a chair and evolutionarily, you know, young boys, young girls weren't put into that environment. So nowadays with screens and I mean, not that long ago, we didn't have written word, right. In the real history of humankind. So the way, what we are expected to do in modern society isn't in line with our EEA, the environment of evolutionary adaptation. Whoa. I haven't heard that one before. Say that again. EEA, the environment of evolutionary adaptation. So that is the period in which ah. the world, like the, what was the environment like that we're evolved to live in? And we slowly evolve, but the, our culture and our inventions and progress, so to speak, move so much faster that we biologically aren't there yet. We must create a world we aren't fit to live in yet. I really like that whole idea. And exp- I sort of use it, at least to, to, to myself, to explain a lot of things, including political views mm. and a lot of issues with society, which is um, I read this great book, by Jay Gould, that's who it is, called Sapiens. I think we, would Did you talk they, about that? Yeah. Isn't there another one? Um, Yohar? No. Noah? It's a good one. Probably. Did he do Sapiens or is that It was Jay cool? Gould. Stephen okay. Jay Gould. Okay. Do we, we have a fact check on that, please? Angela's our fact checker. That's right. She's She'll get great. back to us on yeah, that. Yeah. She's great. Um, anyways, I think uh, basically we're trying to do 21st century things with 60,000 year old brains. Yes, exactly. We've not evolved a whole lot because there hasn't been that much time. And so the things which kept us alive 60,000 years ago are the way we're wired. Exactly. Well said. So we're trying to fit into today's society. So the way I I heard it and I I like is back hunter-gatherer times, the ability to always be shifting your attention looking everywhere and not hyper-focused saved you from tigers. Right, where nowadays hyper-focus can get you, quote-unquote, farther in life in certain areas, schooling. And so if you aren't good at that, which we might, a lot of people naturally probably aren't, you have to really force yourself to do it. Yeah, it's the opposite. We've created a world that's very opposite from what we have evolved to live in. Mm Kind of like the poor rats in before Rat Park. We'll talk about Rat Rat Park. Can you explain another. that one to me later too? Yeah, we'll talk. We'll do an episode on Rat Park and how that can help us learn how to parent better. 
I like it. Yeah, it's a cool thing. Um, so yeah, so so it makes a lot of sense to me. And yeah, today's society is different, right? right? There's a lot of sitting. There's school. There's yeah, and I really like that way of looking at things because I think for me it helps remove the pathology from right. it. It helps you understand it more in a way that no one's or you don't have to look at it as someone's broken or defective. Right. It's not really a disorder. It's just a little bit not helpful right now. I would say, <laughs> I, I think we've probably seen here some extremes, particularly in kids who have maybe autistic spectrum things, um, developmental delays, where it's really far in the curve. And you could see even in hunter-gatherer times that would cause problems. Mm. Um but it's a yeah. spectrum. I think most of ADHD, which is treated, you're right, is uh, it's at least exacerbated by the way society is now. Yep. Maybe maybe caused by it, but the issue mm. is we're stuck with society the way it is. That's not going to change. No. Now. No. You can create your own culture to some degree. Right. Right. If you choose to homeschool your kids and yes. do it like unschooling or other various methods, um, but overarching, yeah can't control that and even you think about office jobs and that kind of thing today yep um sort of comes to you from all sides is uh sit down and focus but yeah yeah they're definitely ideally you you adapt and you make your style work in the world yep or Um, find things seek things out that you know like maybe more a hands-on job if you don't like to sit still stuff like that so Getting back to the kid in the classroom who uh, uh, can't sit still, um, who gets in trouble, who can't pay attention, um, and not because of anxiety or mood or that kind of thing, that causes problems. And it causes a problem beyond the the classroom. And you think about the impact of having trouble in school and having people tell you your behavioral problem has socially over time. What'd you say at the end there? Uh, Socially over time. Uh, yeah, let me let me rephrase that. Um, <laughs> there are problems beyond actual performance in school that can happen from okay. inattention and hyperactivity because right. it socially can impact you. And it, totally, your there's, self-esteem at school. Yeah, there's even down. books written about you know um, the struggles of having like a partner with ADHD and how it often is. I see a lot of couples coming to therapy. With really? partners they think have ADHD and how, yeah, it impacts their relationship. Yeah, there's lots of, and then another thing over time, whereas before I was very maybe dismissive of it, started to see parents who really had like what you'd say would be significantly out of the bell curve kids. And you can just imagine like how hard it is to have a child at points at home like that and how to make sure that you're hearing their experience and hearing what's going on and taking that serious too is important as clinicians, I think. Yeah. So I guess from a theoretical point of view, it'd be great to just have these kids somehow either change environments or modify the environment right? so that they can take advantage of all these things, but there are practical limitations. It's, it's practically difficult to do. Yeah. And, and in some families it's difficult. To do. Yeah. Some families have more resources available. Right. Um, some don't have the option of homeschooling. Right. Course. A lot of people don't. Yeah. 
Yep. And so you have to, and then in that case, how do you help? Well, I'm glad you asked Victoria because there's a med for that. (laughs) (laughs) Is there a med for that? There are, which is a whole nother box of concerns for a lot of people. Sure. The whole med thing. The whole ADHD thing would still be more vague to me if the meds didn't work so damn well. Right. You've seen that with kids on and off stimulants, for example. Definitely. And I think it depends on how you say works well. Right. Um, yeah. One, one of the pieces with meds I think is very interesting is say you can obviously speak way more to this. There's different classes, right. Of the meds that can work like stimulants and non-stimulants. I don't know if you call them a class, but types of meds, um, and stimulants in particular, it seems like there are some people who take stimulants and it's very recreational for them. It's like euphoric, but then there's people just like with like, um, coffee, some people drink coffee and they're all kind of amped, but then you have people who drink coffee and they're able to focus more and sit still more. And you see that with stimulants as well. Yeah. So a a brief, allow me to digress briefly in terms of (laughs) gross oversimplification of how ADHD works, but Um, the idea is you actually have an underactive frontal cortex, which is the front part of your brain. It actually isn't active enough. And that's the part of your brain, which sort of controls, uh, the executive function, modulates the rest of your brain and impulses and that kind of thing. So it's actually underactive, which is funny in something in which you're overactive, Hmm. but the stimulants raise, um, neurotransmitters like norepinephrine, which gets that front of the brain working better. And theoretically allows them to regulate better, which is why coffee might be useful. You know, it's a stimulant as well. It does the same thing. Um, So, yeah. So so (laughs) that's a one sentence pathophysiological explanation of ADHD. Um, It's my speed, so I appreciate it. The stimulants are incredibly effective. And I guess, yeah, when you say effective, ultimately what you care about is a kid's ability to function. And it can turn some kids from having disastrous school careers into totally functional. And th- they would tell you that. Yep. Not, not parents necessarily or teachers. They will tell you that as well. Yep. But kids will say, oh my God, this is making this doable. So, And we're about stimulants. Um, they work the day you give them. So one of the nice things is some families will only give them on school days and take summers off or days when you need to concentrate. Days you need on to something. concentrate. Um, yeah. There's a lot to be said from this. I'd love to get back to the recreational part, but they can reduce appetite in some people. Um, why some people really some like kids them. really like that. Teenage yep. girls love that for that reason. Yep. Um, and, uh, some people get moody on it. Some people get moody when it wears off at the end of the day. Yep. If you take it at night, you won't go to sleep. Yeah, not a good idea. (laughs) Um, There's been concerns over the years about growth trajectory. What are you laughing at? I think some people, that's why they like it too, right? Because you can take it and stay up. Oh, absolutely. Gets a lot of people through school, med school, and yeah, they're big on campus. Um, Poor man's crack. Did you know that some people call Adderall that? Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. 
I do know that they've made specific formulations to try to avoid that. They made Vivance and Concerta, so you theoretically aren't supposed to be able to crush them up and snort them. Right. But um, it, with your experience in, in the very few other side effects, which is really impressive, but one of the big concerns is diversion, which means either abusing or selling it. And you know a yep. lot more about that. Not necessarily because Personally, of what you've done. Can, but that's great. <laughs> let's talk about your professional experience <laughs> My first. My professional experience first. Definitely. Um, you know, I think, yeah, people, whether it's very like high-functioning people who use the, misuse them in a way to almost be like over-functional, right? Like a lot, like for example, a lot of high-functioning college students who are almost like addicted mm. to doing well in school, abuse Adderall and other stimulants. Hmm. It's very common. Um, I mean, a, a lot, of, I know in like when I was in middle school, it was common for little, I mean, now, I, you know, when you're in middle school, you think you're so mature and know everything. But now in my opinion, like these little kids right. giving their Adderall to other kids at school. Right. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of people like just sell them in adults, use them recreationally. If you enjoy stimulants, um, and they can be very addictive very, very addictive. And people can get very paranoid when they do too mm. much, um, stay up for days. Um, you, this is just my, my experience working with kids, but you've never seen an approach like cocaine, that kind of stimulant level in terms of impact on functioning and that kind of thing. Definitely. You've seen it that bad. Yeah. I think the big thing, it's way cheaper than cocaine, right. poor man's crack. Right. And so it's way, especially if certain pe people are, can med seek, right? And it can be a lot more accessible for people to get because right. it's a prescription drug. Um, and so you might not necessarily have, say if you have a straight up cocaine addiction where it's much more expensive. And so maybe some of the side effects that come from that are you have to find ways to afford and support that habit right. that maybe you don't get with Adderall. Right. But yeah, it can be very debilitating. So there's Adderall, which is uh, mixed amphetamine salts. There's the Ritalin class, which is methylphenidate. So as far as stimulants go, they're, they're mostly versions of those two, different formulations, different time delays. There's actually a patch. There's a real in patch. Uh, there's liquids now. There's all kinds of stuff coming out. They're okay. non-stimulants like Stratera. A Ritalin patch. When did they come out yeah, with that? Yeah, well, Daytrana. At least back in the day. Uh, last I checked, there was Daytrana, which was a patch. You put on and you could take off three hours before you went, when you wanted to stop working. Wow. And for some people, it worked great because it avoids... It's like... Um, birth control implant, um, other patches and stuff. It avoids going through the gut and um, the change, which is variability that happens when you take a pill versus just absorbing it through your skin. Right. So that's some wild. kids use that and do well on it. Um, there's non-stimulant versions. There's Stratera and a couple more, which have come out. Do you know what, how, yeah, how do they work? I don't use them a whole lot. Primarily because I'm dealing with more mood acute stuff. mood stuff. And I find the stimulants just work so well when you don't have to worry. Certainly if you have a kid who you're worried about diversion with, um, I would think about those. Um, it also, the, the stimulants work so quick from my point of view in a work like this where I have to get something done quickly. Yep. You know, you find out one day. 
Yep. Um, there's also alpha antagonists like clonidine and Tenex and Intuniv and versions of those. And again, I don't have, they, they also apparently help a bit with ticks. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't have much experience using those either, but we certainly have kids come in on them. But again, it's not, none of that's the main event when kids are here. Right. Right. Which is interesting. It can help be helpful with ticks because that's also neurological. And the combination of ADHD is very common with ticks. Mm-hmm. And it's very common with OCD. And uh, basal ganglia in particular is a, a part of the brain which ticks and OCD stuff. And there's some tie-in with all three of these things. And if you have all three, it's called Tourette's. Mm-hmm. It's actually, I think... Uh, I have a, a friend who's an expert in Tourette's and he says it's less important the vocal and motor tics, much more this constellation of OCD, ADHD, and um, tics. So wow. you often see them together. Okay. Which is odd too because stimulants can induce tics. Right. Or make too them worse in people. So that's one, another reason you might use non-stimulant ADHD meds. Okay. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people going back to the benefits of them for some kids, right? Like... I mean, I think a lot of your genius in working with medication is that Wait a second. you don't get Seriously? it. He wants me to can say we, that again. Can we make that louder in the yeah. video or something? <laughs> Turn that audio up, Ben, yeah, okay. or make a TikTok video out of it. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the, yeah, there's a lot of knowledge and experience that go into what you decide, how you decide to try things. But ultimately, if it helps you stick with it, right? Like throw something at it and what sticks we you keep. At least for now. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, I think going, going back to success, like what is helpful maybe with the stimulants? I think for some kids I've heard that it can be very helpful in like their grades, but then oftentimes they don't, not all the kids who are on stimulants, but some of them report feeling very much like, yes. like a zombie, numb, numb. Yep. Um, and so as a parent, I would really want to look closely at that with my right. kid and really weigh like, okay, how, what's most important? Is there a balance mm. we can find? That um, shouldn't happen by the way. Certainly parents do, but that's, that's an unacceptable side effect. You should not, that should not be the trade off. Yeah. Would you take them off of that yeah. and try like a non-stimulant? Yeah. yeah. Or a different stimulant or something. Or, or a lower or dose. You shouldn't have to feel like a zombie to benefit from the stimulus. Or feel aggressive. I wonder if there is any research out there that looks at the likelihood of abusing Adderall and Ritalin if you don't have it, if it's higher, right? Because is some of it that you feel euphoric on it because you don't have it? Question. Or is it just any, like if you take a certain high amount of it, you just, everyone feels good. Not everyone, but. It's a good question. I was hoping you knew the answer to that. I don't have to look it up. I'm going to research that. I do have a question for you. Yeah. This is something I've heard. Um, Is that stimulants and some people actually reduce the risk of substance abuse. Right. Have you seen that or believe that or not so much? Oh, I understand why. That could be true. You're not convinced. No. I think a part of it, you almost would have to get to them at a certain, like way earlier, at a certain point. Mm. 
Yeah, because I think that works when there isn't already a risk for it, if that makes sense. But there is inherently, so where that comes from, I think, right? Or maybe not where that comes from, but there is a correlation with kids who have ADD or more impulsive to do things like drugs and then get addicted and have problems down the line. So theoretically, if you reduce your impulsivity, you should be making better choices and less at risk. Right. And so I see the logic in that. Right. I... I, I sometimes wonder, I guess maybe it's true for some people, of course, but then I think there's also some people that it increases, increases the, the risk. risk. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know. We'll I think it's very individualized as a clinician. I would definitely use, um, a lot more information about the individual, my gut feeling, their life, their family history. Um, yeah. To really know. Do you find it challenging to be a psychiatrist? Yes. <laughs> who, you know, like for me as a therapist, I feel like I get to spend a lot of time, like say with one-on-one -on -one clients that I feel like over like the course of a few months, you get to really know someone. But I feel like for, as a psychiatrist, do you really get to know people that much? Do you know what I mean? Like in a 15 minute session. Do you even know me? You know what I mean? Like, it's almost like I can see, like in, say in the IOP, we get to spend a lot of time in a short, you know, few weeks with the kids, which is very helpful. But take your average outpatient psychiatrist. You have one hour meeting where people can really tell you whatever the hell they want to. Right. Self-reporting is a very unreliable measure in certain cases. And then they come in for 15 minute It's a sessions. limitation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Part of the reason I don't do that stuff um the outpatient yeah uh i guess you know ideally you know a lot of docs do more than that some will do hour-long sessions every time and do therapy as well and i might be one to do that if i actually did this work that yeah. way i'll be more half hour med checks we can do a lot more in half an hour yep um get a better gut feeling maybe even yeah. like who you're working with and if you're more of a technician with meds and stuff yeah but no you're right it's a limitation and I guess too, that's where a good clinical team comes in. If like you can work yeah. with like a therapist and a psychiatrist together as a mom, I would really want, if my kid was on medication, I'd want them to be in like a, with a therapist who also knows that psychiatrist so that they could talk right. to each other. I think that's the number one thing I see with uh, abused medication is that psychiatrists are not in touch with other providers. Mm. So, and yeah, that can yeah, be Yeah, they don't have a sense as to what's really going. That makes sense. Right. I'll try to yeah. do a better job. I think you're doing great. <laughs> but I, was just I wasn't curious. sure if that was a message. No, not at all. No, I was actually thinking of like the pressure inherent in that for a psychiatrist because you're, yeah. you know, obviously you're doing it to help people, but you can't control what other people yeah. are doing with the medication you give them. And yeah. that would be, I'd feel a lot of pressure in that. Speaking of which, yeah, it's easier with small kids because parents are more in charge of meds right. and stuff. I do think that most kids outgrow it. I mean, that's sort of, I think, the research ADHD. as well. And there's a lot of talk, I think, about adult ADHD, which, of course, I don't work with. But um, I think so most personally. people... <laughs> I do struggle with that a bit. Um, we all do here. But for a lot of kids, it goes away. And there are some adults who continue to benefit from ADHD treatment. Do you... 
did we talk about what are the symptoms of ADD or ADHD? What's that got to do with anything? <laughs> if you were a parent, what <laughs> would you look for? That's a great point. Gosh, she led the podcast with that, right? Hmm. Yeah. Better this late than never. Hyperactivity piece is fidgetiness, inability to sit still. We see this getting up, <laughs> running, jumping around. Um, for a younger kid in the office, it's like, it can be like tearing up your office while you're yeah. trying to talk to them, spinning in the chair, <laughs> pulling my stuff favorite out. Clients. Kind of messy. Yeah. It's like Charlie. It's like your son, yeah. except it happens when people are much older. Right. Charlie's four. <laughs> it looks great on four-year-olds. Yep. Um, and then the inattentive part is uh, daydreaming, mm -hmm. losing things. I mean, it sounds a lot like me. Oh, God. Losing <laughs> things, misplacing things. <laughs> Poor organization, <laughs> spacing out. That can be a problem for driving, by the way. Um, I'm, I've worked on that. Oh, my God. It is a problem with driving. <laughs> I said flashbacks. Remember when we used to go to the podcast studio to record? I don't know what you're talking about. And it's five minutes down the road, <laughs> and he's driving past all the roads, pulling in front of cops to get to spots. Yeah. Anyways. Um <laughs> Um, now I forgot what I was talking about. Yeah. Attention. Yeah. Attention. And we'll pay attention. And for girls, it's very often more the inattentive part. Okay. And they often compensate for it when they're younger and then school gets harder and life gets harder. And then suddenly it shows up more. Um, yeah. What did I miss? Impulsivity. Impulsive. Right. Acting without thinking. Yeah. yeah. Real short term. Why did I do that? Immediately afterwards. <laughs> You know. Charlie the other day <laughs> socked his brother and suddenly like, I don't know why he did that. He said that right after. Right. It was like the... Was he covering his tracks? No. It might have been premeditated. I think it was a legit... He was said to me something like, um, I told my arm not to do it, but it did it. Oh. And it was it seemed very impulsive. But again, he's four. And so yeah. he's, he's pretty smart too. He is. He's a savvy four-year-old. Um, the other piece of... ADD and ADHD, hyper-focus. Do you see that? People Able have to like talked about that, but particularly with video games. Yeah. But I see that as just so much stimulation. You're practically ADD playing a video game. You're just sucking in all right. the stimulation. So It's almost like a stimulant. It is. And, and instead of looking all around you, you just got so much going on the screen. So people have talked about that. I don't know exactly what to make of that. Another piece that's big right now, people talk about object impermanence with ADD and ADHD. Like out of sight, out of mind? Yeah, that people with ADHD tend to struggle. Like they don't think about things if unless it's presented to them. And again, I don't know if it, this is, if clinically, it's technically part of it, but there's a cultural dialogue that talks about ADHD and object impermanence. And I think that is one of the things that couples have a hard time with like one person in the relationship might be constantly thinking about like we have to do this have to do that but the other one's not they're being inattentive essentially uh that sounds really close to home we should have had a special caller and <laughs> call in today <laughs> special guest yeah that'll be fun we should do an episode like that we too. should i'm um, trying to think of any other symptoms that we may have forgotten yeah i mean that's the main thing yeah right? Not bad on ADHD part one. And we're going to do another part? We're going to do another. Yeah, we'll do a few more parts, depending how many years this goes. 
Great. Yeah. Well, I look forward to it. Okay, we'll see you later, Vicki. <laughs> Have a good afternoon, folks. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Is There a Med for That? For more information about our podcast and our clinical work, visit our website at medforthat.com. If you've got questions, comments, or topics you'd like us to cover, feel free to email us at contact at medforthat.com. We'd love to answer some of your questions on air. Have a great day.